Chapter 26 He was watching her when the signal came. Three light taps on the flagstones. She was up in an instant. They doused the lamp and climbed out into the pre-dawn dark. The crofter's wagon was large, built for the heavy brass urns and cakes of yellow cheese, with a high front bench for the driver and a tailboard for bondsmen scarce wide enough to perch a pettywick. A haya from the crofter, and the wagon began to move. They didn't speak, Ramini. No, it's the way. You cried out in your sleep. I'm not surprised. He hardly dared ask it. Did you dream? Sort of. A revelation, more like. The heavy wheels ground over the ruts, setting the urns clanking and rattling against one another. The stink of cheese was sickening. A revelation about me? His heart quickened. Yes. She turned from him, her body swaying and bouncing with the movement of the cart. Well, what then? It was different from any I've had before. I saw colours and shapes like clouds boiling in a high wind and heard voices in my head. What did they say? She hesitated. You'll not be happy. Why? What is it? Ramini, tell me. A time of great change is on us, Prince. Change? What change? Woman, speak out. I'm not sure. But Gurniak is its birthing place. Gurniak. Then that change concerned him. That thought brought back the vision of the mentor's death. A Ramini calling out, Look what you've done. It's bad, isn't it? And you don't want to tell me, Ramini, what we saw in room. Hush! We may not speak of it. And as for talk of bad and good, what is that? Did you learn nothing back there? Be proud to hear that one day your line will help save the people of the known world. His line? One day? What about him, now? Was not his head already teeming with ideas for reform? Not you, Prince. My vision was more far. I speak of a descendant. A descendant? What kind of talk was that? That's it? Yes. Talk bumped along sulkily. He'd hoped for visions of a new kingdom rising from the ashes of his father's pyre. But all he'd learned was that he'd lived long enough to spawn an heir. Small comfort for a Gurniak prince 
who must wed on his coronation day. You're not happy, just as I warned you. You saw no more. Again the hesitation. No. Was she holding something back? How would he know? If there were more, she'd tell him in her own good time. Maybe. Near the city gate, the line of wagons stretched back and back. Slowly they moved up, while all around them crofters gossiped and grumbled. The new edicts, they said, were ruining trade. By the time they got to the market, it was almost the hour to go home, and their produce was spoiled, and the gods everywhere scared folk away. Talk lay back among the urns. Why the passes? And who had ordered them? He looked up constantly for a glimpse of the citadel, his father's blackened tower, but all he saw was war. His impatience grew, and the urge to push to the front of the line. Calm yourself, prince. Use your training. We'll get there exactly when we're supposed to, and not a moment before. Talk regarded Ramony sourly. You sound just like the mentor, he said. It was mid-morning when they finally reached the gate. From the moment he sighted it, Talk braced himself, and each roll of the cartwheel tightened his wariness. But one look at the passes, and the guards prodded on the cart, without so much as a glance at the ragged bondsman clinging to the rear. They were through. So much, thought talk, for edicts. From every post and rooftop flew black banners, just as in his vision. Talk looked at them, uneasy. They rumbled on toward the mart. On every hand, people hurried by, heads down, purposeful, and with good reason, as talk soon saw. Guards were everywhere. Footclars in pairs, armed with pikes, stopping folk at whim. One day stopped a frightened youth, ragged, barefoot, just as the crofter urged the cart, up a steep incline. Talk, his eyes on the road slipping under his dangling feet, heard every word as he went past. Name, Ferdin Gall. Business, none. I'm just going home from work. From work? The guard backed the youth against the wall at Pike Point. What work brings you home at this hour? I, I am bonded to Jundar, the baker. We bake at night. The cart rolled out of earshot. 
Stroke watched the youth fall under the pike, the guards kicking him where he lay. By the drag! The lad had done no harm. The Fukar take him if he'd stand to see him treated thus. He knelt up, poised to jump off the back of the bumping, swaying cart. No, Gunyak, there's nothing you can do. He glared at Ramani, subsided angrily. She was right. He looked back along the road. The youth lay on the pavement. The guards were gone. Was he dead? Torp stared at the youth's dwindling outline, his mouth set in a tight grim line. Soon, soon, the people of Gurniak would learn what true justice was. The guard crested the rise. The mart was crowded but quiet. Once the cart was in, they slipped off without a backward glance at the crofter or his wife. It was the way, Ramani told him. What now, Gurniak? I'm not sure. Give me a minute. They stood in an alleyway, sheltering from the wind. Two more Ferdin Gauls in thin, ragged clothes. For a space, Tork felt lost. The king is dead. Long live the king. Sherlock, standing above him, the snowy hasher raised for all to see. Tork remembered the coolness of the stuff descending on his new-shorn head, his father's words. May the grace of the Lothuri cleanse your soul, prove your mind and spirit, and send you forth from Rome a future king. Sherlock lay now in the Hall of Tombs. Sherlock the warrior, big as Ferric, loud as Brach. Oh, father, father. He saw the great head thrown back in laughter at some jest of Brock's. His enraged face the day talk failed to win the Brandilac. His proud smile after the victory of Gotland. Soon, my boy, you'll ride by me and learn to be a king. Gurniak? Oh. Pardon. Come. Where? Ramani strode along beside him. Home, he said. Well, how do we get in? It did look difficult, Torp had to admit, with every gate secured, every drawbridge up. It looked sombre, uninviting even forbidding. Was this house strangers saw it for the first time? He turned away. We wait until dark. Then what? There's a conduit under the outer moat. 
leading to the inner one. Ramani stared down into the fullness. Under that? It's the only way. Your game? She shrugged. Why, I, I suppose. They walked on, dodging guards, keeping to the meaner streets, looking purposeful and staying on the move. Dork saw, for the first time, another Gurniak, filthy, dangerous, alien. Curfew notices were everywhere, scribed in symbols used for the illiterate, a crude image of a barred door beside a setting sun. The afternoon crawled, and so did Talk's gut. They'd not eaten since the early morning, and didn't look like to for some time to come. The sun went down. Black banners merged with sky. Curfew sounded over the rooftops. The taverns closed, and the crowds dispersed, vanished, and fog-filled silent streets. Talk led the way through dark wasteland to the moat's edge and into the still icy water, then across, carefully, so carefully, to the far side. The conduit was under the lee of the servant's gate. Talk well remembered the year the moat was drained and cleared. The stench from it had hung about the citadel for days. Even so, it hadn't stopped him and Aravac and several other like-minded spirits after it was refilled from trying that way in without being caught, a way which had nearly gotten one of them drowned. Yet no one ever found out. Could he remember the way? He got his bearings, took a deep breath, and dove, Ramani following after. The water was shocking cold and totally black. A few seconds, and already he began to feel confused. Ramani, are you there? I am, and if I come any closer, you'll kick me in the face. Talk felt for the hole. It wasn't where he'd expected it to be. He moved sideways, kicking, feeling the slimy stones. There. The moment he found it, his breath gave out. Bamini, up, up, I need air. They came up together, sputtering, spitting out water. They rested, clinging to the wall, until their breathing slowed. Icy as the water was, Talk didn't feel the cold. Not after all those months under the Kaharavim. Now, Ramani, let's try again. He dropped, straighter, faster, found the hole and kicked his way inside, his fingers gouging the slippery ooze on either side. Weed caught his legs, smothered his face. He calmed himself, fought the panic. It couldn't be that much farther. Only the thickness of the outer wall, after all. Two 
more kicks, and he was through. He shot upward, Ramony close behind him, gasping for air. They waited a few minutes to get their strength back, then talk pushed off the bank. Over here. Torp swam across to the inner bank, climbed out onto the stretch of no-man's land between the barracks and the stables. He was home. He led her into the stables through a rear door to a groom's stall with clean, dry gear hung on pegs. They swilled themselves down from a far pail, then changed into breeches and smocks, thrusting their wet clothes into a pile of dung outside. There came a sudden clash of bells. The tenth hour, the changing of the watch. Where to now? Talk looked towards the empty blackness where once the king's tower had stood. He wanted above all to see it, to stand in the ashes where his father had lain. Later, he must see Theric first. <laughs>